What is going on, everybody? Welcome to Future Projection, a Baseball America podcast. I'm Carlos Colazzo, joined by Ben Badler. Here we are. It's um, the middle of January. We're almost done rolling out the the top 10s, the updated top 10s on the site. Ben, top 100 meetings for our preseason list is starting. We're inching closer to the season. Carlos Correa has finally uh, taken a physical that is that has been fine with the team that's signing him. Things are moving. How are you doing today, this morning, as we record here, uh, Thursday morning, January 11th, January 12th, and January approaching 12th. International Signing Day as well. Yeah, approaching approaching January 15th, so just getting all of our all of our coverage up and ready to go for January 15th, so it's a, always a fun day when these kids who are 16, 17 years old get to start their careers it's a life-changing day for uh for a lot of these kids and and their families obviously too yeah it's always fun it's always exciting reading all the content that you put out on these players although i guess it still is dicey just given the system we have to to work with on the international scene having these players who have agreed to deals so many years before this is actually happening in a few days um there's really a lot of uncertainty with players that, like you mentioned before, I think you mentioned it every year, just the amount that can change with a player from 13, 14, when they're kind of verbally agreeing to these deals and uh, two years down the road, um, they can re- really radically change. We see that from, from high school players domestically. I think it's the case for, for every player, wherever you're at um, just a lot of change with your body physically. Uh, all that development is, is going to change how we view players, but Today, we are going to talk catching, Ben. Uh, this week, I wrote a stock watch previewing the catching class for the 2023 draftees. Uh, a bit of a down year, maybe, but we can get into that later. I think on the pro side, catching is probably in, in a pretty good state. We obviously saw Adley Rutschman graduate to the majors and immediately become the sort of prospect that everyone was expecting that he would be since his time at Oregon State uh, when he became the number one prospect in the draft, later became the number one overall prospect in baseball. Remember last year, I think around this time, actually, Matt Eddy wrote a piece. Yeah, it was January 3rd, 2022. Matt wrote about how we're maybe seeing a new wave of impressive catchers that will hopefully boost the the reputation and just how we view the catcher position at the major league level. Uh, Obviously, for a number of different reasons, the baseline of talent maybe hasn't been uh, where it's been previously Buster Posey um, kind of falling off and not being peak Buster Posey is a reason for that but um, with Adley Rutschman leading the wave of a number of really talented catching prospects we could be in a great era Uh, and then we also have some interesting international catchers to talk about today so it's a catching focused podcast Uh, but I guess I'll just throw this question out to you Ben do you think we are entering a golden era of catching how do you think Matt's piece holds up from a year ago. Um, a number of the players that he mentioned are still prospect eligible, and we should be seeing some of them um, establish themselves in the majors in 2023. I think Francisco Alvarez and Gabriel Moreno probably top that list. Um, but but what is your take on catching in baseball as we see it right now? I think the, yeah, I think the state of young catching in baseball, whether you're including especially if you're including recent graduates like Alejandro Kirk. Um, but if you're, especially if you're looking at catching prospects right now, it, I, I think it's as, as strong as it's 
as it's, I mean, I've been here BA for about 15 or so years. This is, this is one of the strongest times I can recall for catching prospects. We'll probably have, I would guess what, eight, nine or so catchers probably in our top 100 prospects. Yeah. I think uh, I might take the over on that. I think we could get close to 10. Yeah. I, I mean, there, there's, and there's certainly more than, more than even 10 who have a case to be in the top 100 and it's not like there's only 100 prospects of baseball we like so there's some guys deeper down the list who won't be on there who I think have a chance to be breakout type candidates and and jump into that top 100 range next year but I mean you look I don't think I'm giving any of the big surprises away like you know we're gonna have Francisco Alvarez and Gabriel Moreno and Diego Cartaya, I mean, these guys are going to be, you know, top 25 and in at least a few of those cases, maybe all three top 10 prospects in in baseball. I mean, all three being in the top 10 might be aggressive. I I wouldn't necessarily count on that. But um, yeah, we have some definitely some potential impact guys who are catchers who are going to be among the very premium prospects in baseball. And then, like we were talking about just a second ago, there's there's also a depth of of catchers and and not just guys who I think project to be backups. Although a lot of these guys will not live up to uh, maybe what you know some of the expectations are for them, and and they won't be regular catchers or or even stick around and in a backup role. But there's there's I think there's a depth of guys who have a chance to be you know, at least solid, regular catchers, if not potential all-stars. Yeah, and at least on the draft side, we've seen a number of really strong drafts for the position. I think going back to 2018, we've had at least one catcher selected among the top 15 picks. There are a few years where we had uh, very premium, at least in terms of where these players are selected, Catchers going at the top of the board. Obviously, Adley Rutschman was the one-one favorite the entire 2019 draft cycle. Uh, Joey Bart was number two overall pick, and then we had Henry Davis, who was maybe the more surprising um, top two pick of the last few years. Um, but the drafts have produced a number of exciting catching prospects at the top recently. Uh, I think that we might have. I don't know. We don't have a top 15 catcher on our 2023 list right now, uh, but the depth of our top 100 currently looks pretty solid. And each year, I think there are a few catchers who move up boards during the spring season. But going back to the the guys who are currently in affiliated ball, current minor league prospects, you mentioned Francisco Alvarez and Gabriel Moreno, Diego Cartaya. I think I would throw Andy Rodriguez into that conversation as like top catchers in baseball and maybe even Tyler Soderstrom, I think those would be my top five catchers that I'm looking at that I think really have cases for for top 25 prospect in baseball. Which of those do you think is is the clear number one, if there is a clear number one for you? I think entering prospect handbook season, I kind of just assumed Francisco Alvarez was that guy. His combination of power and youth getting to the majors as a 20-year-old was just so impressive. But then reading more about Gabriel Moreno after he was traded from the Blue Jays to the D-backs, just seeing how good a pure hitter he really is, how often he makes contact. The chase rates are super low. These guys are interesting to compare and contrast just because their profiles are so different. 
but I'm curious if you have a favorite or or a player who's a clear one. I think right now I would probably go Alvarez one and Moreno two. Uh, but I, I think there are more arguments than I would have expected entering the offseason for for Moreno being the top guy. Yeah, I think I think it's close and they're they have very different skill sets. And I, I don't think Diego Cartaya is too far behind them either. Um, I mean, Francisco Alvarez probably has the most upside or, or at least the most potential for offensive impact he has he has the biggest power i think of of that group strength bat speed uh leverage in his swing i think he's a you know a very advanced hitter too obviously for uh especially for his age so uh, i think uh, catchers it's a little tough but uh because they are not playing Every day, but I think he is, you know, has a chance to be a 30 plus home run uh, type hitter at some point um, with him. The the defense still concerns me. I mean, plenty of arm strength. That's that's not a question at all. Uh, it's more the the blocking, the receiving. I think Cartaya and Moreno have have an edge over him there. Uh, you know, like you said, Moreno is such a, he's a very well-rounded catcher. He's, he's extremely athletic behind the plate, just a very flexible, agile mover, the, the hand-eye coordination, the, the pure bat-to-ball skills that he has are outstanding. I mean, even earlier in his career, he was one of those guys where his ability to put the bat to the ball was obviously an asset for him but in some ways he almost had to uh tone it back a little bit just in terms of his approach because you know he would swing at pitches that would be you know a a 1-0 pitch on on the black on the outside corner or even out off the plate and he would swing and he would make contact but it would be weak contact right just putting the ball in play for uh you know kind of a soft ground ball so he wouldn't uh he, he didn't have the best approach at that time, uh, but he's become a more, more selective and, and more disciplined hitter over the years. Uh, I think he's also just evolved his, his swing. And as he's evolved his approach, you've seen some more, some more power, but again, the power, the ultimate power upside is one of the question marks with him. Uh, he does hit the ball hard. So I think that the, I think he will, I I am betting at least that you will see more, uh, you know, bigger home run numbers, bigger extra base totals from him going forward. But I still, I you know, I think it's still more of a a hit over uh, power profile with him. Uh, and then the defense just gets pretty superlative reviews from from scouts from from everything that he's able to to do. This catch and throw skills behind the plate. Yeah, just hearing you break them down, it, it really from my perspective seems like Moreno is maybe the safer prospect here and Alvarez if you really wanted to shoot for upside he would be your pick I think it's interesting how we talk about floors versus ceilings because often I don't think we instinctively put realistic floors or realistic ceilings on players but um, at the sake of just contradicting myself immediately it does feel like Moreno maybe is a a little bit of a higher floor player because of that well-rounded tool set because of the contact ability 
uh, and the defense. The defense is a really interesting question with Alvarez because I think you get, at least I've heard wide ranging opinions on the defense, and and I almost am, I almost feel less capable of evaluating catcher defense than ever just because of the number of catching prospects who were written off as defenders behind the plate who have made huge improvements in pro ball, whether that is from just the work ethic or the professional coaching or just the fact that catching is hard and it it really can take a long time for players to figure it out. But I am interested to see what sort of defender Francisco Alvarez is going to be in the long run. He is still very young. I think he's been working on a lot of things just in terms of language barrier as well. That will maybe help him be a better catcher in the future. Uh, I think his English skills have gotten a lot better uh, based on the reports that that Matt had in his Mets chapter for Francisco Alvarez. But how, what do you think is the, what do you think is the likelihood that Alvarez is forced off the position and how does that impact his profile if he is, because it does seem like he has the power to still be a productive player, but how would that change how you evaluate him if he's not going to be a catcher uh, at the major league level? Yeah, I don't, I don't see him as somebody who would have to move off the position. I mean, unless he just gets, you know, totally like, <laughs> just, he just stops trying with his body or, or something like that. But, um, you know, he's, he's just not Gabriel Moreno's level of defense i mean I, he has you know he has a great arm and i think ever since you know ever since he was an amateur player signed out of venezuela as a, a big time prospect at the time he was always a guy who had uh, an outstanding arm uh, outstanding bat speed an outstanding raw power and you know hitting ability that that translated in games too and and the question mark was just uh, you know, there there were questions at that time because he was, you know, 16 years old. <laughs> Is he going to stick behind the plate? Um, but I, I think he's shown now. Yeah, he can he can definitely catch. It's just a matter of, you know, is he ever going to be an above average defensive catcher? No, I, I don't think that's ever going to be the case. I mean, you just the blocking, the receiving it's it again, like you said, he was 20 years old last season. Right. So there's there's still, and he's moved so fast, right? So like if he was 20 years old and we were talking about him, you know, have as a, somebody who grew up in the United States and, you know, he probably would have got drafted out of high school, but, you know, let's say he'd gone to college, we'd be talking about evaluating a, uh, a player going into his junior year of college, not, Hey, is he ready to play defense at the major league level right now? <laughs> right. So he like his, his offensive game is so good that he's forced himself to move up through the system so quickly that, yeah, like his defense is not quite as polished as, as you would hope for a player who's going to have an impact on the major league roster this season. But overall, yeah, I mean, I, I think he can, he can catch your, he's just not going to be the, you know, the, the defender that you're going to get, with Gabriel Moreno, where, you know, Moreno's, you know, blocking, uh, the way he receives, can steal strikes, plus arm. Um, you know, Alice Alvarez has the the arm strength too, but just all, all the all the movements, the actions, the blocking, receiving, um, all of that would be an edge for for Moreno, who I think has a chance to uh, you know, be a true plus defender behind the plate. 
Yeah, your point about Alvarez pushing himself up the minor league ladder because of how good his offense is, I think is a really good one. We we constantly hear about how catchers take a long time to move up and the fact that he has pushed so aggressively uh, maybe lets you know there's still more development to come as a catcher. You can still develop at the major league level. I think sometimes we trick ourselves into thinking once they reach the majors, you're kind of a finished product, but that's certainly not the case. Yeah, we'll think about like his teammate now, Kevin Parada, right? Yep. Like if you had to throw Kevin Parada onto the the major league club tomorrow, like would you feel confident about him catching? Like, uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> like that would be a that would be a tough one, right? But Parada is probably going to go to what to to high A or double A, and and you know those guys are born those guys are born like a couple months apart, right? But we're, mm-hmm. we're talking about Alvarez being ready uh, or close to being ready right now. Whereas, you know, Parada, we're going to give probably another couple of years before we're counting on, um, you know, him being ready for, for the big leagues. Yeah. 20 years old, played in rookie ball and uh, a ball. He had a good debut. Uh, Parada is one of the, the catchers I wanted to talk through a little bit later on, but we can get into him now. The The one thing that's interesting to me is Kevin Parada versus Henry Davis. Obviously, one of these players is the top pick overall in the draft. There are certainly signing bonus um, considerations that that are in play there. I don't I don't think anyone would tell you that that Henry Davis was the top talent overall in the class, or maybe I, I shouldn't say that. There there are probably some people who believe that at the time we didn't have him number one on our board. We have him five. We had him in that top tier of players, um, but Henry Davis took an underslot deal, went one one. And Kevin Parada had an overslot deal sliding down to the Mets in more of the middle of the first round. But the entire time we were going through the 2022 class, I viewed Kevin Parada as as a similar or better prospect to Henry Davis at the same time. I think they had similar receiving questions in their draft years. And I, I personally think that Kevin Parada is just a better pure hitter. Um, and I think that his, his bat has a better chance to be an impact bat in pro ball. Henry Davis has obviously scuffled a little bit, so maybe it's easier to say that right now as we sit here, but how do you view those two players in comparison with one another? Ben, I know I'm just pulling two random catchers of our top 100 out at you, but I am interested in, in kind of how we're viewing Parada since he was outside of the top 10 versus Henry Davis, a guy who has that one, one pedigree. Um, and we've got a little bit of pro sample for both of them, but not a ton, but I've long been a Kevin Parada fan. So maybe it's not a surprise that, that I'm, I'm high on him and like him better than, than Henry Davis at this point. But what do you think about these two? Yeah. Well, I mean, you said two top 100 catchers. I don't know. I, I'm not, I don't know that Henry Davis is going to end up in our top 100 and it's you know he's he's still a a good prospect but i i would have kevin parada you know ahead of him by by a good bit at this point and when we talk about defensive questions i mean that seemed to really become more of a question for a lot of scouts this year with henry davis it's you know no question again on on the arm strength, uh, obviously the, you know, the power is there too. And, um, you know, when, when he was healthy and, um, you know, the, the performance was, was solid. I mean, Greensboro is a, a great place to hit it. 
wasn't quite as good <laughs> once he got up to to double a and altoona but the yeah the the reviews on him defensively were more concerning as far as his actions behind the plate uh the hands the the footwork the receiving um you know, I, I obviously Kevin Parada is more of an offensive minded catcher, too, but uh, I would have more confidence right now in Kevin Parada uh, of among those two catchers. Yeah, they both seem like they're going to be bat over defense catchers. We still have fringy grades on Parada's defense moving forward. It's definitely an area that that he needs to focus on. He needs to improve. So all of his defensive actions, he needs to improve his arm strength if possible to get to an average catcher. Um, but I do think we always had split feedback with Prada's defensive ability. The area scouts in Georgia who were watching him more consistently always seemed a little bit higher. And I'm not sure if that's just because Prada is a good kid and they they tended to like him. And so you want to hope that with his work ethic that everyone speaks highly of, he will get uh, the necessary improvements. But I think Henry Davis was also a player who um, was praised for his work ethic as an amateur. So it, it at some point, it's not just about work ethic. All, all these players are going to work to try and improve um, and better themselves. But talent and skill actually is going to come into play at, at these levels. Yeah, I think for me, I have Henry Davis still as a top 100 prospect on my personal list. I've got Kevin Prada as maybe a top 50 prospect um maybe that is surprising but i just think he's going to be a plus hitter at the position and i think he'll do enough even if he's not a great catcher i'm more confident in him just sticking at the position providing value in some capacity um and if you're a plus hitter with above average power and you're providing fringy or even below average defense at catcher i think you're, you'll be pretty happy with that yeah i think to me it was clear that Andy rodriguez has surpassed um Henry Davis, though, in in the Pirates organization, among I agree, yeah, among catchers, and can you? I mean, I mean, he was originally signed by the Mets, so can you imagine if they had Francisco Alvarez, Andy Rodriguez, and Kevin Parada right now? Yeah, and Pico Armstrong. <laughs> imagine that. Yeah, <laughs> that, that that also would have been a good one to uh, <laughs> not give away your first round. But yeah, I, I didn't even think about them having, I wonder if they did have Indy, if they even draft Parada because yeah, we yeah, hear about not. teams. I mean, I, I, I hate that just because I think if he's the best player, you take him regardless, but I know people do think of catcher as, as maybe a little bit different, even for the baseball draft when you typically never draft for need. Yeah. Uh, and, the, and they took, they obviously took Parada knowing that they have Francisco Alvarez, who might be the best catching prospect, like we said, in yep. baseball. But would they do it if they had him and Andy Rodriguez? Like, yeah, that uh, that might be a tough one because, yeah, like you you can say, oh, well, well, one, like you know, it'll sort itself out. Yeah, probably to to an extent, but at the same time, it's also fair that catchers just have fewer positions to move to typically, and yeah. fewer positions that are valuable. Like, it's a lot easier for a shortstop to move off of the position and and still fill a hole that and, and fill it well, I guess. Yeah. And I had, and I had an assistant GM actually reach out cause he was listening to us have this conversation on a previous podcast that we had. And he was saying, yeah, cause when, when that, when you're in that situation, teams will teams know other teams that you're tr trying to trade with know that you have that kind of log jam of talent at a position too. So they'll try to low ball offer you and try to leverage 
that against you. So, I mean, look, the, the Blue Jays obviously just went through with uh, Alejandro Kirk and, you know, Gabriel Moreno and, and their whole catching situation. So mm-hmm. um, it can still work itself out. But yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right. Probably if, if you had two, I mean, probably top 25 overall catching prospects in baseball, would you have taken Prada? Maybe. I mean, again, like, do yeah, you think- I think the trade value still, even with that, that leverage point you made, I mean, catching is such a premium. It's hard to find impact players at the position. It, it's just such a commodity. And we're even seeing now teams are happy to run out two quality catchers on their roster with a universal DH, spread the time at catcher at the position to just kind of balance the the workload and the wear and tear that these guys are getting. I think there is there's certainly space on a roster for two quality catchers. It's not just one catcher who's handling 95% of the responsibility anymore. Is Is Parada somebody who you could see having the offensive ability and and also the defensive skill set to handle uh a mo- if he were to move off the position if you you know if if Alvarez is cements himself as the 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 star catcher for the Mets could you see him moving to you know whether it's third base or, or a corner outfield spot this Prada you said yeah with Kevin Parada yeah, I think he's he was a good athlete in high school. He moves around pretty well. Um, he played some outfield in high school and didn't look terrible at the position. I think he could be a solid or, or maybe fringy defender again. I don't think Prada's ever going to be a guy who gives you great defense at any position, but I think he's athletic enough. He runs well enough um, that you could put him in a corner and his bat would still profile well. Um, so I think that would definitely be something that, that he's capable of. He's not some lumbering slow base clogging guy who you would really see running around the outfield and wonder what is he doing there i don't think he would look terribly out of place yeah the um no the the guy though i think who really i probably moved up as much as anybody this year was was andy rodriguez with the yeah let's talk andy he he's he's awesome man just super well-rounded like you said one of the one of the breakout prospects in baseball um, top prospect in a pirate system that's really good. Uh, what do you like about him? What does he do? It, it feels like he's got a great combination of of tools and skills and offensive ability, defensive ability. He's really well-rounded as a prospect. Yeah, I mean, the performance, I mean, just lit it up last year. Double uh, A uh, after his promotion there, too. I mean, hot potential for a high on base catcher uh who has power too I, I think he has really good understanding of of the strike zone consistent quality at bats makes a lot of contact uh, has a, a an advanced approach an advanced plan at the plate uh and there's there's power and there's power that just plays up because of the contact frequency and because he's swinging at good pitches and good pitches that he can do damage with and and then you watch him behind the plate and it's you know like henry davis has better raw arm strength or, or you know francisco alvarez or yeah. you know or gabriel moreno too probably have better they all probably have better raw arm strength not that he has a below average arm by any means but the uh you know especially compared to you know it's an easy comparison comparing him within his own organization to henry davis i, I think he's a he he's a more advanced catcher he's he's more polished um 
with his his blocking and and receiving skills. I mean, I, I think there's you know he still has to tighten up some of the the receiving a little bit, but overall. I, like, you know, there's a lot of questions right now from scouts about whether Henry Davis is going to stay behind the plate. I don't really get that sense with with Andy Rodriguez. I, I think he's he seems to me like he should be their their catcher of the future. Yeah, I agree. And and like you're talking about with his arm, it's not the best arm, but he really improved uh, his ability to control the running game in 2022. That was a good step forward. I think he threw out 45% of base runners once he was in Altoona and double A, which is impressive. Uh, we're looking at a guy who who might be able to be a plus hitter with plus power at the catcher position and be a, a fine or solid defender there. That's immensely valuable. I think you could even make a case that Andy pushes himself up into the top 10 prospects in baseball range. I don't know how long he's going to stay prospect eligible. He's already got a decent amount of time in the upper minors, but he did go from high A to triple A in one year. So maybe maybe I'm getting a little bit too aggressive. The Pirates aren't exactly on the cusp of trying to win, so I, I wouldn't imagine they need to push him too aggressively. Um, but he's close. He's knocking on the door, and if he keeps excelling at the minor league level, I don't see any reason why you wouldn't want to bring up your 23-year-old top catching prospect and let him kind of cut his teeth at the major league level. Yeah, he I mean, he was somebody where I don't think any of us were talking about him as a top 100 prospect coming into 2022. But right now, yeah, I think he's clearly in that elite tier of, of catching prospects in the minors. Do you have a strong lean one way or another, Andy, or excuse me, yeah, Andy Rodriguez versus Diego Cartaya, because I know you mentioned Cartaya as being kind of in your elite tier as well. If you had to pick one of those, who would you take? Yeah, I, I would still go. I would still go with Diego Cartaya. I mean, when he's when he's healthy, when he's on the field, he he is super impressive, and and in a probably a different way than I would have expected when he was an amateur player, I mean, he was always a, um, you know, a, kind of a taller catcher who, you know, you were, you, you could see growing into some more strength and, and power than what he had as, as an amateur, not that he was a slap hitter or anything like that, but it was more of a hit over power type profile, very advanced hitter for his age uh, and also a, a pretty advanced defender, uh, I thought too, or at least defensive attributes behind the plate when he was 16 years old, and and now like just hearing just how strong he's gotten, and talking to scouts about the way he hits the ball <laughs> in BP and and in games too. I mean, we're talking about well above average raw power, so um, probably. I mean not too far from what were Francisco Alvarez tight power potentially, which they were both from the same signing class out of Venezuela. So that how, how that sort of developed for Cartaya is surprised me some, but surprising and certainly in a, in a good way for where we, we had ranked, yeah. um, you know, I think is the number two player in that class with mm -hmm. the right after Marco Luciano. It's crazy to me to look at the age and see that he was also just 20 years old in 2022. Mm -hmm. I feel like he's a guy who's been around 
longer. And so in my mind, I think of him as 22 years old and he's just not. So I, I was sitting here ready to to give a heavy lean towards Andy. I think you can probably give Andy the advantage in, in terms of pure hitting ability and contact, probably give Kartaya the edge in terms of power, probably give Andy the edge in terms of fielding polish now, probably give Diego Kartaya the edge in arm strength. Um, so I, I don't know with, with the fact that he's two years younger, I could certainly see a case for Kartaya. I think I had Andy above him on my list, but I also had them very close together. So I could see a case for either or. Yeah, there's still more, and there's still more things for Kartai, I think, to clean up defensively. Uh, probably, probably than I would have expected from him at this point, based on where he was at when he signed. But uh, I do, like, I think he's going to stay behind the plate, and I think he, um, you know, I, I think he will continue to develop into, you know, at least an average. Uh, defender if if not if not better um so i think you know you couple that with a chance to be a catcher who could hit 25 30 plus home runs and um be you know obviously some of his his on base numbers will probably come down some but it's you know still a pretty patient pay some patience power uh like you said it's not the pure contact skills of Andy Rodriguez. So I, I, again, I could see obviously the case for having any ahead of him, but um, I do think there's the, just the potential for more overall impact with, with Cartaya. Yeah. How about let's move down, get out, get outside of these elite catching prospects in the minors. Are there any players who are maybe further down a top 100 or even off of a preseason top 100 that, that you're excited about? Uh, I know Tyler Soderstrom has long been a favorite, of this podcast in general, I think he's probably one of the next players you would talk about. Uh, Soderstrom with the A's, Logan O'Hoppy with the Angels, Kevin Prada, who we touched on with the Mets, uh, then some recent high school draftees like Harry Ford with the Mariners, Bo Naylor with the Guardians, would all be some of the next names up uh, in my mind, but I'm curious if there are any other players who who either I mentioned or, or didn't mention there that, that you think are interesting for one reason or another. Yeah, Naylor, Naylor really rose up, I think, this year. Mm-hmm. Um, much better, I think, reviews on on his defense. Uh, that was encouraging to hear. And then seeing the way, you know, he's able to uh, to get on base. I mean, obviously, the, the offensive game has always been impressive with him. And then hearing about the defensive strides yeah. he made this year to go with that you know, with that hitting ability, with that strike zone discipline, and then, you know, 20, his approach is just so good. Yeah. 20 plus home runs over, over the past year. I think he's really, uh, really elevated his stock over the past year. He's another player who didn't have great reviews for his defensive ability coming out of the draft. A lot of people thought maybe he was a candidate to play a third base or a corner outfield position. I think kind of similar to Kevin Parada, honestly, he moved around well. He actually played a decent amount of third base on the showcase circuit, but he was also a player who, as soon as he went into pro ball, we heard really good things about his receiving and his framing. And it seems like he's just kind of continued to overachieve those defensive expectations that were set on him as an amateur. He was always a really impressive pure hitter. It's good to see the approach is strong. I think his chase rate was 16%, which would put him 
near the best in terms of not expanding the zone of all these catching prospects that we're talking about. Um, he's obviously on the cusp, got a few games at the major league level in 2022, but mostly played in AAA. He's probably ready to take over in Cleveland or at least have a more significant role in 2023. I think he's, he's just a player who doesn't really have any holes in his game. I mean, maybe you would like to see a bit more power, but he's not going to look out of place in that sense in Cleveland's lineup, at least. Uh, and I think he's still a guy who is going to offer you more speed than you would really ever anticipate at the position, maybe in a, a JT Romuto kind of way. He's still a good runner. We have him as a, as an average runner and he hit 21 home runs and stole 20 bags in 2022, which is exceptionally rare for a catcher and also just cool to see. I like when uh, these profiles are not, not, traditional i would say yeah and then i think you mentioned logan ohapi too i mean certainly not a sleeper by any means as the angels uh top prospect and he'll be i mean he'll, he'll be in our top 100 too but uh just a really really impressive year at double a last year for him again you talked about just a, a well-rounded balanced skill set for a catcher I think that's him. Obviously, not the running ability, but uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> it's not that's such a such a big deal. You're not as excited him. about running as I am for catchers, Ben. No, no. It's a uh, you know, it's a nice like sneaky tool to have in there, especially if it's you're fun. in fantasy. But um, for yeah, I mean, for Ohapi, defensively, offensively, I think both have a a chance to be uh, above average. He just continues to to hit, to, to control the strike zone extremely well. Um, obviously he was not a high profile guy coming out of high school into the the draft when the Phillies drafted him. But I, I think pretty quickly people started to recognize, Oh, this was a, <laughs> this was a pretty good late round pick for, um, for the Phillies. He, he just keeps getting better and better. It's, it's good, good play coverage, good eye for the strike zone there's you know 20 plus type home run power in there and no questions about him sticking sticking behind the plate it's it's a plus arm uh the the exchanges is quick you're getting pop times in the one nine sometimes ticking under that in game so just a, a really good catcher on on both sides of the ball Yeah, absolutely. One of the one of the guys that I wanted to get into was Soderstrom. And I wonder if you even still think of him as a catching prospect, because he essentially split time at catcher and first base in 2022 at all of the levels that he was at. So it was certainly an attempt to just get him reps at both positions rather than some sort of roster need for him to play the position. He probably has some of the least exciting reviews about his catcher defense of, of all the players that we're, we've talked about so far today. Do you think, would you still be looking at him down the line as a catcher or do you think it's pretty much a, a guarantee, not a guarantee, but more likely that he's just going to play first and match or play some position other than catcher and, and just be a slugger. I, I would continue to develop him as a catcher uh i mean with the a's yeah what are your thoughts on the split splitting the playing time because he had i have it right here i think he in high a 
He had 326 innings at first, 236 at catcher. In double A, 139 innings at first, 118 at catcher. And then at triple A, he actually caught more than first, 44 innings at catcher and 26 at first. But overall, slight edge to first base, at least in 2022, which is odd. Yeah. It's either odd or telling, I guess. <laughs> I, I mean, I would continue to try to develop him at catcher. That's where his value would be the highest. But, I mean, I know you love Tyler Soderstrom coming out of the draft in high school, and, and this was always the question mark on him as an amateur player, too, was is he going to catch? But at the same time... You know, like we're talking about with Kevin Parada, it seems like you were you were if you were drafting Tyler Soderstrom, especially in the first round, you're drafting him and saying, Yeah, we we want him to catch, but we also know that hey, if he has to move off the position and go to a a corner outfield spot or, or maybe even first base, we we think he has the bat to and the offensive ability to be able to handle himself at at either of those spots too, right? Yeah, I'm just looking back at his draft report now, and it was pretty much, it reads very similar to his pro report in 2023. Everyone loved this swing, terrific performance in the showcase circuit, polished left-handed swing, plus raw power at the time that he gets to in games, more physical projection to to get even stronger, and then defensively, just a ton of questions. Um, I think most evaluators that we talked to questioned his ability to stick behind the plate, Size was a question at the time. Uh, mobility, flexibility, arm strength was impressive, but the arm action, I think, was longer at the time. So just pretty much across the board, he had questions about whether he would stick. And even um, back in 2020, uh, there were scouts talking about him potentially playing third base or first base or or even corner outfield. So these are not new questions with him. And I think the usage with the A's would have me just more concerned like if he was making progress, I would think that he would be catching more frequently than he is. Uh, and maybe it's just a case that they want to push his bat. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think uh, it's, you know, with the A's too, <laughs> you know, they can afford to take their time. On, yeah, you would think. On his development, but they also are just, what what are they doing overall? I mean, it could it's be just a question too of like, you have Shea Langoliers now. He's a better catcher. Maybe you know you're going to have him for a while, and so the most the most abs you could get Tyler Soderstrom would come at another position. And if you just don't think he's going to be a great catcher, and you already have uh, a defender who is quite good at the position, maybe it's as simple as that. Is is the other players you have in your organization? I don't know if the Ace think they're going to have anybody, any player for a while. <laughs> so, <laughs> maybe that's fair too. And and Shay Langoliers, ooh, not not such a not such a hot debut for for Shay Langoliers either. Yeah, the strikeout rate was a bit a bit scary. But let's uh, let's dive into a few more. I wanted to talk about a, a couple catchers who I'm not sure will rank immediately as top 100, but are players who I really like. Uh, one of them is Dalton Rushing, who was the Dodgers first selection in the draft in 2022. And we actually got that selection right in our mock, which I'm particularly proud of because I think it was number 41 or something. And I think we had him there maybe like three weeks before the draft. So 
it always gets me excited when we hit on a later mock projection because there's obviously there's a, a ton of luck involved in getting those, but it, it just feels better when you're like, oh wow, I got the 41st pick right. Quite I have myself in the back for it. Yeah. But Dalton Rushing had a fantastic debut. He was tremendous. I think you could even make a case that, like in hindsight, he would be a first rounder given his pro debut with the, the contact ability, the power, the exit velocities were impressive. Um, so just overall, really exciting as an offensive player and his defense, the way it was talked about by scouts leading up to the draft was much more encouraging than it was at the beginning of the spring. I don't know if that's just him kind of getting more reps at Louisville. He was obviously blocked for playing time um, in 2021 and 2020 with some of the catchers that they had there. Obviously, Henry Davis being the 1-1 pick, playing a lot of catcher over him. I'm not sure if it was a case of rushing actually improving or maybe him just being seen more at the position and people were like, oh, he's actually not a bad catcher. And then another catcher who I like who probably don't have as much optimism for his defense is Austin Wells with the Yankees, but I just keep coming back to his offensive abilities. I love the bat. I I don't really, I know we're talking catchers, but I don't really mind if he's not going to catch because I just think kind of similar to Soderstrom, maybe not to that same level i think he has a chance to be an impact player even if he's not catching uh, but but what are your thoughts on these two and do you have any other maybe off the hundred sleeper types that you're excited about heading into 2023 yeah i thought the start obviously the debut for rushing was pretty exciting caveats coming that you know it was the cali low a that was not great competition this this year uh especially for a pretty polished college catcher like him but at the same time it's not like uh you know it's not like he hit 300 with a little bit of power or something i mean he was hosting a an on-base percentage north of 500 walks equal to strikeouts slugging close to 800 there in 28 games so yeah uh, i just think pretty- the underlying hitting data too just the the exit velocity the chase the contact rate like all of that was was impressive um i think to your point it, it is a short sample in a pro debut where he's advanced for the level um, and older for the level in the case. I think he's actually right around league average in the Cal league, but you make good points about how we shouldn't go too crazy, but I do think we can learn a little bit about these players and maybe, maybe tweak our, our expectations or, or where we have them. I think Spencer Jones would be a similar one who I'm, I'm much more encouraged about after his pro debut than I would have been after he was drafted, but um, we can stick to catching for now. Yeah, no, I, I think he's bumped up his stock some since draft day. I mean, so, you know, sometimes people say, "Oh, well, don't overreact," or, or not, nothing really changes from the time the player was drafted, uh, and then he goes out and signs and, and has some has a professional debut that summer. So his, his stock should be the same. Well, no, like we're 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 still learning more about this player, and we have more information, more data on this player against professional competition, swinging wood bats. I mean, we see players in the draft who can, who change their stock from, from April to June. So why would that not be the case when we're talking about, you know, a player going, you know, from July to September after Mm -hmm. he signs and after he's playing, you know, better competition, whether, whether it's a high school and certainly for, for a high school player, when we're mm-hmm. seeing them now swinging wood bats against guys who are consistently throwing 
you know, 90, 92 plus miles an hour, uh, in, and sometimes well above that swinging wood the... bats and in, in pro ball, I, I think it can make, you know, if it's like a week, okay, fine. Uh, and I'm not saying, you know, every player is, is going to have something significant change in, in, in your evaluation of him, but there are definitely times where a guy comes out in pro ball and you say, oh, all right, well, all right, we need to adjust and and uh, and account for this new information that we have that's adding value to our ability to have a more accurate evaluation of, of who this player is now and how he projects going forward. Yeah, I think you nailed it. I mean, it, it's constantly a balance of reacting to new information and not overreacting to that information and enti- entirely discounting uh, what you knew about the player previously. I think if anything in the past, I've maybe been a little too stuck to my priors, especially with these draftees, because you spend so long watching them and talking to scouts about them and and kind of solidifying your view of what the player is. Um, and I'm trying to do a better job of folding in pro information and and kind of changing your mind maybe a little bit more quickly again like like i just said it's always a balance and trying to make sure you don't go overboard with that but i think you make a good point is we're constantly collecting new information you constantly are getting new data and one of the things you mentioned there that i think might be really key too is is the wood bat element i think there are a lot of players in college who maybe mask their power questions because you're hitting in a college environment that can be hitter friendly with metal bats I wonder how quickly I know we had exit velocity data of Austin Martin shortly after he made his pro debut, but I don't think we had it right away. And I wonder if we would have been a bit more skeptical of him if we did have that data. Uh, But I think at least in terms of the Dalton rushing conversation, one of the reasons why I'm so encouraged is because his exit velocity data and just the, the hard hit data that we have for him with a wood bat is still so good. And I think it it may be if you had concerns that some of his power was fabricated because of the college environment, I, I wouldn't think that anymore. Um, but, yeah, this is all it's interesting to think through and it's why it makes it so tough. But yeah, I'm, well, I'm certainly I, high on these guys. I remember when when Bo Bichette was drafted, he was he was a second round pick out of high school and then he went out and played in the Gulf coast league and just went bonkers. And he had some issue with, oh man, I, I want to say like his, his, his appendix or, or, or something, some non-baseball reason why he, he didn't play a ton in his pro debut, but it was like about a month or so. And it was just so good. Like he had over 400 with power and the yeah, I'm pulled it up from- right now. Just to, to run through his line for you, this is uh, rookie ball in 2016, Gulf Coast League as an 18-year-old. He hit 427, 451, 732, four homers in 22 games, two triples, nine doubles, uh, six walks, and 17 strikeouts. Yeah, he. I mean, he was so good, and the reviews from everybody and, and scouts who were down there watching him play they they were just so blown away by what he did. It was like, well, we can't evaluate this guy the same way we did 
before the draft, like his talent is not commensurate with, uh, you know, where he was drafted. If, if you just redid the draft, you know, after the season, he, there's a good chance he's going in the first round. So we were aggressive on that. Um, so, I mean, look, I, I, there's certain, you know, when a guy is that good, it, it's just kind of obvious and jumps out right away. Um, but I, th- I think, you know, you're looking at, like you said, some of the, not necessarily the the slash line for a player that he produces, but some of the underlying things, if, you know, like you talked about some of the exit velocity data or, or just, or just know, the scout chatter. Yeah. Or, or just swing and miss type numbers. Yeah. Right. If, if we have a high school hitter who's going out to the, one of the complex leagues in Florida or Arizona, and he's out there for a month and he's striking out at a, you know, 38% clip, like, Hmm, that's, <laughs> that's a pretty big red flag. Right. Um, or if a pitcher goes out, I mean, pitchers are a little tough cause they don't throw <laughs> after signing now uh, so much just because of the, draft date being pushed back you don't want them to ramp up too much but i mean we uh, even have some teams that are not starting any of their draftees in this new system like i don't think cleveland i think cleveland maybe had one or two players they activated uh and there was another team as well that that basically activated none of their draftees so that is an element that that kind of sucks yeah i mean but like you know like um like keone cavaco who was a first round pick of the twins a few years ago went out and in the Gulf Coast League, like he was pretty overmatched there. He was swinging at everything. He was not making a lot of contact. I mean, he he was already somewhat of a polarizing pick for for where the Twins drafted him, right? But having that information on him after he signed uh, added. I don't. I don't even know. I could be wrong here, but I don't even know if at the time the pick was that polarizing. Keone was certainly maybe it was risky. I think you could you could safely say because he just didn't have much track record over the showcase circuit. But most people that I remember talking to had him in that first round range. Everyone was in on the the power, uh, his hitting ability, then the athleticism, what he could do on the left side of the infield. We had him. I think saw. I'll pull it up just to make sure um, that I'm right about where we had him ranked. But I believe we had him ranked somewhere in the middle of the first round. I'm pulling that up now, but one player that I wanted to to mention as well, I'm curious about, because when, when you talked about players who swing and miss a lot in their pro debuts and, and whether or not that would make us be more concerned, Elijah Green is a player who has very disparate data right now. He hits the ball exceptionally hard. His hard hit rate in his debut was crazy, but he also swung and missed a ton I think his overall miss rate was around 50%. The strikeout rate was 40%. It's only a 12-game sample, but is that one of these instances where you are maybe a little bit concerned or no? And I'll pull up the uh, Keone Kavaka rankings just to see where we had him. Uh, I, I mean, in his case, that that is, we're talking about like 50, probably like 50 plate appearances. So it, it is on the shorter sample size window um but like you said it's still 40 percent strikeout rate and it's not it's also not super surprising with him either right like you kind of know what you're getting with elijah green you're getting a 
phenomenal athlete with outstanding raw power and tools and times of you know really good performance and and even with that good performance you're gonna get uh still a pretty higher level of of swing and miss so um with uh, with him it just being such a, a smaller sample size I, I, like I, I wouldn't change all that much about how we've evaluated Elijah Green yeah today compared to you know where he was coming into the draft and even with that swing and miss I mean he still had a 300 400 500 slash line was very right. productive <laughs> like it's it's not like he was bad by any means and we're just like excited about how hard he hits the ball but um to Kavaka, we did have him, we had him 31, and there's a line in his report um, where we said he has the tools to go as high as the back of the first round. So yeah, maybe a, maybe a tick higher. I, I I thought for some reason we had him ranked higher than that, but we had him right at the back of the first round. He went, what, 13th overall? Yeah, he went 13th overall and signed for just over $4 million. So a little bit higher than we expected, but I don't think that is a crazy amount higher than we expected at the time. Yeah. And, and sometimes, too, with guys, especially for, well, we see with the high school players and, you know, the college guys, too, where, you know, sometimes these guys, these guys are starting their season in February, uh, and some of them are playing even earlier than that. So, all right, they sign, they go out and play, and then it's like, you know, August, and they're just, you know, run down sometimes. Sometimes uh, fatigue just sets in and, and masks their true talent level. So. Um, and since we're talking so much about catchers, that is a hundred percent true for yeah. catchers, especially I know that was yeah. that he, for Kevin Parada, I think entering his 2021 summer, I believe that's the right timeline here. He, he was like, a lot of people were like, he does not look like himself. And everyone was like, yeah, he just, he just caught a full spring season. He was the everyday catcher. Uh, he got beat up a ton and then he went to USA baseball and tried to catch there as well. So you just get tired. He he lost a lot of weight, I think, just because of that grind. So mm-hmm. it is very much real, the durability factor with catchers and, and the toll they take back there. Yeah. I mean, you see teams sometimes will, like in the complex leagues, will piggyback their catchers sometimes just because, yeah, you're taking a, a high school kid and sending them down to, what, to Arizona where it's about 400 degrees and you're catching or you're sending them to Florida and the humidity uh, with all your gear yeah, on. It's really neither of those places sound like degrees. fun places to play after you've already played a whole season. And now you're trying to get adjusted to the pro schedule, to the pro talent level, and you've got Florida and Arizona weather to deal with. That's that's fantastic. Yeah. So, there's, yeah, those are just a lot of different contextual factors that can, like you said, th- there's a lot you can take away from a player's pro debut but in you know when you see a guy struggling like that, sometimes you do have to dig a little bit deeper, and it's not something that again exit velocity data or you know there's no data that's going to show yeah like this guy is just completely gassed and run down uh, since he's been going like nonstop since uh, since February. Although I will say like man, you talked about guys outside the top 100, Jefferson mm-hmm. Kiro. Brewers catcher, yeah, in the Arizona Fall League, which is another place where we will see players look run down sometimes, like including Mike Trout when he played out there. But 
he did not look run down at all, man. He was throwing out guys, you know, sub 1.9 second pop times. Uh, all, all the defensive reviews on him are, are somebody who could be uh, plus, if not better, defensive catcher. Um, strong arm, the the footwork, the throwing mechanics, the exchange are all extremely efficient for him helps an already strong already strong arm play up even more uh and then it's a, a pretty solid bat for his age too it's it's not yeah so i was saying then he hit well too sounds like yeah, a good player here yeah i mean it's, it's not going to be i think the offensive impact of uh, you know like the diego cartayas or francisco alvarez uh you know those those guys but uh, I think he, you know, very strong bet, obviously, to stay behind the play. No no real questions about that and, and be a potential plus or better defensive catcher. And then uh, I think probably hits more, you know, that six to nine area of the lineup, but, uh, you know, has a chance to, you know, it's like you talked about the state of catching in the big leagues and, and maybe that changes with some of the young catchers we're seeing now, but uh, a pretty solid bat for a, for a catcher too. Yeah. Talking about such a good defensive catcher, I kind of realized that we have, we've talked about a lot of catchers who maybe have questions about their defense. And obviously catcher is at the top of the defensive spectrum because it is such a high, high burden for, for just defensive ability. There's such a, it's a high bar to clear to be a great catcher and just to be a catcher in general. Who are some of the best defensive catchers in the game right now? Do you think Jefferson Caro would be uh, on that short list of players? Are there any other guys that that you would mention? I think of Drew Romo immediately as, as one of the players who just has always had a really strong reputation as a defender. But I'm, I'm kind of curious now if we've maybe not discussed some of the glove first catchers in baseball probably because i have a harder time getting juiced up about the <laughs> the glove first catcher um still very valuable that's why the I mean, uh that's why the offensive line for catchers is always the lowest in baseball because that defense does matter yeah and i mean if you can stick around as like a you know a perfectly cromulent backup catcher like you can carve out a nice 10-year career exactly so yeah you look up and you're like wait that guy played like 12 years there are a lot of wet noodle hitting catchers who have made a, a nice career by uh, yeah. doing the glove work well yeah um yeah i mean i mean you mentioned drew romo he's one who definitely jumps out right away um yeah jefferson kiro too um i'm trying to think off the top of my head like who would be like the Rafael Marchin gets really loud grades for his catcher defense. He's, he's a much lower level prospect in the Phillies system. I don't know as much about him, but our, our grades on him are exceptionally loud right now. Um, but I, if I had to think of like a combination of top overall prospect plus catcher defense, I really think it would be Romo Moreno and Caro at this point. I mean, maybe Patrick Bailey, depending on what we think of him now, he's still a pretty good catcher. Um, just trying to think through some other guys. There there are not a ton of elite defensive catching prospects. I think that I think the guys we've talked about are probably the ones. I mean, the, and every every org seems to have a no hitting, really good defensive catcher, but I don't know how many gold glove catchers are running around in the minors right now. 
Yeah, you mentioned uh and Marshawn too. When he signed with the Phillies, he was a he was a shortstop as an amateur. I think he was he was like the shortstop on their on their 15 and under national team too that that played in I mean this was so long ago. Some some international tournament uh there, but it's just I mean, think about think about all the guys we've talked about too like Francisco Alvarez, Gabriel Moreno, Diego Cartaya, uh, Jefferson Quiro, Rafael Marchand, like Venezuela is just a absolute catching factory. It's, mm-hmm. it's yeah, it definitely plays into the kind of scouting stereotype that you get your catchers and shortstops from the international market. So don't worry about them as much in the draft or domestically. But I guess that's a good kind of pivot into the international class, Ben, because there are always standout catchers from the international market, and it sounds like. This year's catching class is led by a really good catcher as well. Do you want to dive into to this year's catching market and maybe some of the guys we should be on the lookout for in the next few years? Yeah, Ethan Salas is again like like, like you mentioned at the top of the show. These players are, especially the guys who are signing for you know seven figure bonuses, but but even a lot of the guys who are signing for well well below that even you know fifty thousand sixty thousand dollar type type deals are are agreeing to commit to a club you know when they're like 13 14 years old and now they're 16 17 so uh in a lot of cases the top players who who you'll hear about uh, or top bonus players who you'll hear about the the amount of money they're signing for was generally agreed upon uh, years prior. So there's so much that can change just in a few months, let alone a few years, uh, which should be obvious. I hope to anybody (laughs) we're talking about players who are, you know, 14, 15, 16, 17 years old. So, um, but in, you know, in, in the case of Ethan Salas, uh, catcher from Venezuela who's going to be signing with the Padres. He he was famous early on both because of his own, you know, his own talent. He's a he's a super talented player. He's also the younger brother of Jose Salas, who is a shortstop prospect with the Marlins, who was a, a big amateur signing uh for the Marlins, like in, in his own right in 2019. Um so you know, people saw saw Ethan playing at at a young age, and he's he's just extremely polished as as a catcher and as a hitter. I mean, you just just watch him swing and everything, including his defense too. Everything is just so easy for him. It's just calm, easy actions in the batter's box, behind the plate. It's a left-handed swing that's just very simple, compact, stays through the hitting zone for a long time. He has good pitch recognition for his age. It's it's a lot of contact in games. Now it's not, you know, like we were just talking about Francisco Alvarez, who was just like a big, strong, barrel-chested kid when when he signed. Like he doesn't have that kind of power but you could certainly see him growing into more power just as he 
gets stronger. He, he's also also on the younger end of, of his signing class. He's still 16 years old. Um, so I think you're going to see him grow into more powers with natural strength progression. Um, and he would be, you know, he, he'd be an exciting player if he were at, you know, third base or, or outfield. Uh, but he's also just a, a really advanced defensive catcher for for his age whether it comes to um you know the the throwing you're you're getting pop times in the in the one nines in games not these you know fake workout showcase you love those workouts times. you love those workout pop times though yeah yeah where you're catching the ball in front of the plate and the batter would smack you in the back of the head if he was <laughs> taking a swing oh. and you have no helmet on uh, those are those are really instructive. But the pop time and the catcher velocity is all that matters, Ben. It's all <laughs> that matters. But how rare is it for a catcher to lead an international class? It seems like it is, but correct me if I'm just not recalling some standout international catching prospects who've who've been at or near the top in recent years. It, it feels like it's typically an infielder or an outfielder. Um, I, I think yeah, typically it's going to be a a shortstop or an outfielder because there's going to be somebody at that yeah. level. Um, and like, you know, we've talked before about the risk of high school catching and just the not so hot track record of that group. Well, all right, well that's, you're evaluating them when they're 18 years old with international players, they're signing it. You know, now it's 16, 17, and, uh, you know, realistically, a lot of these decisions are being made, like we said, when these players are, you know, 13 or 14 years old. So you can uh, just multiply the risk factor <laughs> to be even higher at, at this age. At the same time, you know, like Gary Sanchez would have been, you know, right there among the top of his class. Like Miguel Sano probably would have been ahead of him at the time. Uh, Diego Cartaya to me was like him and Marco Luciano were like one A one B. I went with Luciano ahead of Cartaya just because of you know that catcher risk uh, and and so much offensive upside with Luciano. Obviously Francisco Alvarez, you know maybe not a number one player in in his class, but was was up there. Uh, and, and again, like Venezuela is just a just a, a machine for, yeah. for producing catchers. I noticed so many good catchers that come out of there. And all, uh, all of the catchers on your board, on the bonus board, are from Venezuela. So what is going on down there in terms of just being catching factory? We talk about Georgia Tech or Louisville being catching factory in terms of universities, but Venezuela is the true catching factory. Yeah. yeah I mean, there's a lot of just a lot of kids who grow up catching. Uh there's like a pretty strong youth baseball culture and game oriented culture in, in Venezuela. Um, and, and you, you know, you grow up in Venezuela and, you know, you see other players who, you know, are Venezuelan players who are in the big leagues who are catchers. And, and you, I think some of it is you should naturally look up to them as, as role models. So, um, I think that's that's part of it. On the other hand, you you also have players, like I said before, with you know Rafael Marchand or you know Gabriel Moreno is is another example who I think was an infielder 
for for a while as an amateur and then you know scouts will look at a player and say yeah like you know like Marshawn is, is somebody who had a good internal clock at shortstop, really smart, high baseball IQ player, good hands, has has the arm strength for the left side of the infield. But, uh, you know, just the way he's built, it's not that your catcher or excuse me, not that your shortstop, I think, needs to be uh, an elite level runner or anything like that to play shortstop. But you could just kind of tell. Yeah, the range is really not ideal there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we could put him at third base, but uh, is he going to have the power for third base? Well, you know what? He has a lot of attributes that would, you know, project really well behind the plate. So you, you know, you see that and say, all right, we'll put him behind the plate and see how he looks. Um, so you ha- you do have you do have a lot of kids in Venezuela who grow up playing catcher, and then you have a lot of other players who are. Uh, you know, good conversion candidates too, like that, who can, uh, you know, have the attributes to play that position and, and can develop into uh, catchers. But I mean, with, with Ethan Salas, he's somebody who's been catching for, for a long time and the, the hands are, are soft. It's, it's a good arm that will probably continue to get stronger. Cause again, he's, he's still 16 years old and there's more strength projection in his frame, I mean, we're talking about a a college catcher or a you know a high school senior catcher where you're you're probably not able to project arm strength increasing uh, anymore at that point. But you know the same the same way you would with a you know a 16 year old high school pitcher gaining velocity, you can do that with position players too. So he, he, he already has a, a strong arm and it, it plays up because his exchange is so good is his footwork, his throwing mechanics are, are so clean and so crisp and so efficient, especially for his age. So um, it, it's, there's, you, you really can't poke too many holes in his game right now, unless you want to say, well, it's not, you know, Gary Sanchez level power, but like, yeah. okay, that's, that's fine. He's a far better defensive catcher than <laughs> Gary Sanchez was at uh, at that age. And you know, other than the you know typical risk that comes with any sixteen year old catcher mm-hmm. who, well, I was going to say has no pro experience, but like he's he. I mean, he's so advanced that the he played a little bit in winter ball in in Venezuela in the Venezuelan league. So he's you know catching. Not just, you know, he's catching bullpens of, you know, professional pitchers there, Mm -hmm. guys with like big league experience. uh, And they even put him into, I think, at least a few games down Mm -hmm. there, too. So he's, you know, a 16 year old kid playing in like the Venezuelan professional league over there, which is uh, pretty, pretty astounding. I mean, Jackson (laughs) Churio did it last year, uh, or I should say in 2000. Well, he did do it last year, but. You know, he did it the year before that too, just coming out of the Dominican Summer League. But he, you know, he had already played some professional baseball. I mean, this is a a kid doing it before he even signs, and then he's also, you know, catching, <laughs> which is a different level of trust that you need to have compared to you know throwing Jackson Churio out there in, in center yeah, field. Absolutely, I, I imagine that that's got to be an insane transition. To your point, just the differences in being a catcher and doing that and being an outfielder. One one would be a significantly steeper learning curve. 
I would imagine. And then you have, uh, I mean, Alfredo Duno is another Venezuelan catcher this year where, I mean. You have him linked to which team? He's, yeah, he's going to the Reds. I mean, we we talked before about like, uh, you know, the Gary Sanchez or Francisco Alvarez. Um, I mean, he's he's taller than Francisco Alvarez, but it's more like that type of uh, power oriented profile in terms of just power and physical tools that he has. I mean, he's like six, three, two twenty. I was about like, to bring up the, the listed height and weight a six, three, two twenty. And he's what? 16 still. Yeah. That he's sort like of a, physicality now is crazy. Yeah. Like, like a Salvador Perez type body. I mean, mm-hmm. he's, he's big, he's strong. It's, it's obvious when you just watch his, his power, uh, his arm strength. And then for such a, a big, kid already like normally you would think all right you know is he gonna catch i don't know and i you know especially early on i think that was one of the questions with him but he's he i mean he's really athletic he uh, i just want to say he's bigger he's listed as more physical taller and weighs more than blake mitchell right now who's two years older than him and is a pretty physical and imposing catcher on the draft side so I can't imagine. I haven't seen him yet, but I I can't imagine what Duno looks like just kind of walking out on the field and squatting behind the plate. Yeah, no, no, he is he is a big dude, but again, like he he's athletic. He's pretty quick behind the plate. Uh, he's able to. Uh, he he actually has a little sneaky speed that you like for for really. A <laughs> yeah, it's not gonna it's not gonna last. I mean, I was about to say gonna... six three two twenty is sixteen year old. Is he gonna is he gonna be like a solid runner or is, does he project to be like a, a typical blow average or well blow average as he gets older? Yeah, that, I think how does that body age? Like Jorge Alfaro when he was sixteen seventeen, I think he was like an average or close to it runner underway. Obviously, like you see him yeah. now. I mean, he had a home run. I don't know if you saw the, I think he had a home run the other day in winter ball and he just like stopped and like watched it for like a good, like five seconds, if not more. That's uh, awesome. In, in winter ball. Uh, it was, uh, I need to find that video. Yeah. Yeah. I gotta, yeah, we gotta find that video for you. But, um, but no, he, I mean, do know, Outstanding arm. I, I think he'll stick behind the plate because there's some, you know, really, really encouraging defensive skills uh, or attributes there right now. And then there's, you know, like you would expect from somebody who's so big and strong, it's, you know, plus plus raw power. He's going to continue to get stronger. So that tool could uh, stick up or excuse me, tick up. So he's yeah it's it i think even salas is the most he he makes everything look easier and it's a more polished swing and and pure hitting ability but as far as the you know the physical tools and, and especially the the power you have to give the the advantage to to duno there well, I would encourage everyone who's listening to check out Ben's international bonus board so you can get all of the information that he has on, on all of these pe- uh, players, catchers, uh, and, and otherwise. But since, since it's coming up and we won't have a podcast in between this one and January 15th, Ben, I just wanted to let you talk about 
the class and and use this podcast as, as as much of a preview as you wanted to. If there's anything of note in this class, if there are any other prospects uh, that you think people should be aware of, um, if there are any just changes in in how teams have been operating, if there are any teams that are being more aggressive in this year's class, uh, just anything of note, I guess, use this as a as a a preview in any way that you want because I know people love hearing you talk about these international prospects. No one, no one knows them to the extent that you do. Um, and I would just be hesitant to, to cut you off days before January 15th. So have at it. What, what should we know more about this class outside of Solace and Duno and some of these um, impact catching prospects? Yeah. I mean, those are, like you said, those are two of the bigger catching names to know. Um, yeah. It's, you know, like I said, it's, it's a class where, or, or it's just really a, a system now where, you know, it's, it's something we've been writing about now for like 10 years about how. <laughs> I think you know, in your piece you wrote, you wrote today that I think it was nine years ago, you were talking about how the system had been changing like this. So it's been going on for at least a decade now. Yeah. I mean, I, I literally remember writing a big story about it and, and one of the, like under class, I guess you could call it players <laughs> that, that people were already looking at was, you know, was Vladimir Guerrero jr. Right. And now he's like an MVP <laughs> player mm-hmm. in, in the big league. So it's, it's, it's been going on for a long time, but, but really over the last few years, especially it's just accelerated to just to a completely different level of of you know teams you know committing players typically when they're 13 and 14 and now MLB pushed the signing date back from July 2nd to January 15th which is a pretty sneaky way for them to you know essentially raise the signing age so the players you know now it's another 6 months that we before they can actually sign and you know we we just does that how how much does that actually matter considering how early these deals are being struck it's it's not really changing the way that teams operate but it, it has to change the confidence you have in your evaluation of the player for for a player if of of that that you are not signing right like the the teams that are signing these players should know them you know quite well because they're you know they can bring them into their academies and do you know game have them play in games you know intra-squad games have them face live pitching you know one of their pro guys is 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 there they can have them face them they can have them face you know different tryout guys that they're bringing in uh they can go to their you know to the to the field of the program where they train and and see them play there but like generally other clubs like well if i'm another club why am i gonna go spend time like watching some player who already has a you know, a multi-million dollar deal with another, with another organization, I'm, I'm not going to sign that player and, and that player is not going to showcases anymore. Do you think there is a, maybe an area where teams could 
take advantage of that and basically say, even if we're not going to sign him, maybe we can get an information advantage or a scouting advantage uh, compared to all the other teams in the industry who are, who are not going to be doing the work on these players just so that when they do sign and maybe when you have conversations about potential trades uh, or just how you're evaluating these players, um, it would be beneficial? Or do you think it's it's so negligible that it wouldn't make a huge difference and that people would catch up really quickly once these guys get into affiliated ball? I mean, I mean, teams do try to do that, right? And like you'll have, you know, let's let's say you have, um, you know, Bananas program and Jaime Ramos's program will, you know, get together on some day and they'll, you know, have their players play, you know, games against each other. So you'll have, you know, these players who will be signing in 2023 might be on the field at the same time as, you know, players who are signing in 24, 25, 26. So as a scout, you're going there, you know, primarily to see at this point, the players for who are signing in 25 and 2026. So you might catch, uh, you know, a, a glimpse that day of, of a player, or if you're just going there to see a workout, uh, you might see the, you know, that shortstop who has a, a deal with the club, taking ground balls or, or taking some BP, but it's like little snippets here and there more like far more so than what you would do for a much more thorough evaluation of a, a college player or, or yeah, a high he, school player. He, he, hearing about this process just gives me a lot of anxiety because we have it so good here in the States in terms of just my ability to go see all these players. And there are tons of, uh, you get tons of games in the spring, you get tons of events in the summer, there are showcases, there are workouts, there are travel. There's just so much more information that you get on these players. And I don't, I don't envy you trying to cover it, Ben. It sounds like an absolute nightmare. Well, we, I mean, and that's why we, we just do the bonus board the way we do it because yeah. it, you know, like I'm just so strongly against BSing people. I, I don't want to do it to our readers and I, I don't want to do it to, you know, the, the players or, or the teams that are, you know, involved in this process too. It's, it's just not really fair to anyone. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like there, there, there are players, like there are pitchers, especially pitchers right now who are like, you know, like who, who were, I think who the, the it's always tough for pitching anyway, right. In, for, for international pitchers, because there's just, I mean, there's so much risk with 18 year old high school pitching. It's even more so when you're talking about trying to project 16 year old pitching. And if teams are trying to make decisions on players when they're like, you know, 13 and 14 years old, I don't know about you, but like, I have uh, basically zero confidence in my ability yeah, to I'd probably have negative a, confidence. Yeah, like a 13 or a, even a 14-year-old pitcher. Like, yeah, like sometimes you see some like, you know, you know, phenom type stuff. But but even then, like, geez, like you're you're talking about in how confident are you about this player in 10 years, like staying healthy, getting to the big leagues. And even then after 10 years, he's going to be what? 24 and like just starting his big league even career. from a junior year high school pitcher to a senior year high school pitcher they can completely change the sort of profile and the sort of pitcher they are yeah it, it's so, crazy to expand that so by a factor I mean, of 10 i i mean this would be a 
a bad idea for a lot of reasons, but like in some ways you almost need a separate bonus pool just for pitchers because it will, you know, teams are teams generally are not paying big money for international pitchers when they were making the decisions on them when they were 16 years old. And now if it's at like 13 and 14, I mean, forget like the teams are not, they, they understand the risk factors just, just as well as you and I do. So they're not going to take a, a big chance on, on that. I mean, that's why you see like, like a Harlan Susana when the Padres signed him after he came out, um, you know, after that, there was that signing ban and, or, or that, excuse me, that scouting ban on, uh, on international for teams being able to scout international players in 2020 while the uh, pandemic was really at its height. And he was like, a, you know, like a, almost like an older ish, I guess, version of, of an international pitcher. And he, he really got uh, paid because his, you know, he was a quote unquote older, but his, his stuff was just so good at the time. And he blew up even more since then. And, and since then he's been traded to, the nationals and he's you know touching what 102 103 i think maybe mm-hmm. um so it's it's just really tough for pitchers because you have like there are guys in this class who you know during the you know competitive scouting process when all the clubs were looking at them were you know good arms touching you know 88 89 90 and now they're t- touching you know 94 95 like 97 in you know a case or two where it's like, yeah, you know, look at our 2024 high school list, where again, those are players we like everybody can go out and and see all the time. Like, you know, a lot of those kids <laughs> committed to colleges when they were in, you know, ninth grade or or eighth grade, even in some cases, but everybody's still going out to scout them uh and and can go out and see them in every major league club. You know, maybe they're not fo- bearing down on those players right now but every day leading up to the very day of the 2024 draft they're going to be able to scout and evaluate those players but that that 2024 high school class which is the you know essentially the peer group for these January 2023 international signings like we like a couple pitchers in the whole country that are touching 96 but like you're just not going to hear about these guys on any public rankings at least yet and you know teams are not keen on saying like hey let's let's you know this guy that we're going to sign for you know eighty thousand dollars or a hundred fifty thousand dollars who you know was like an interesting projection arm you know touching 89 90 who's you know now up to 95 with like a, a really good breaking ball like yeah like we don't really want to alert every other club <laughs> to to the fact that uh, you know this guy's talent has taken off to a new level, and and have them come in and you know try to sign them in in advance of January fifteenth. So um, that's why we do it by strictly by um, you know bonus or, or what we're hearing the the expected bonus amount is going to be, and then you know after January fifteenth we we do our more. Uh, thorough international reviews. So for every every single club, we we have scouting reports and up to date reports on uh, all the uh, you know notable players from from each club's 
class and, and those guys have, you know, for the most part, then at that point, been in their team's academy for, uh, for at least a little bit of, of time. And, you know, we just feel like we can give more, more accurate and more comprehensive evaluations at that point. Yeah. Uh, after they sign, but before they've, um, you know, before they've begun their, uh, you know, professional or made their professional debuts, I should say. Yeah. And I guess how optimistic are you that this landscape will change uh, at any time in the near future? Because obviously last year there was a lot of talk about a potential international draft coming to the international market. MLB and the Players Association could not agree on a draft. So we have the same system. And it sounds like all of the negatives and drawbacks of the system remain and are only continuing to get worse. So what is your mindset currently about the potential of of developing some system, whether it's a draft or not, that could be more beneficial for players and teams and and for people like us who just want to know more about these players and these prospects? Um, are are you optimistic at all that there is a solution or that anything will change in the near future? I think their plan A was to try to implement an international draft. And I don't think they have a real plan B. So yeah, <laughs> I think their plan B is to uh, hope Baseball America doesn't keep writing about this stuff and <laughs> that you and I don't keep talking about this and that they can just buy themselves enough time to try to get an international draft in the next negotiation, which, which doesn't necessarily, by the way, need to wait for the next CBA. They could just do midterm bargaining and come to an agreement. And that would not surprise me, but I mean, look, the last, in the last round of negotiations, they were, uh, what, what were they offering? I think it was the, uh, you know, the, the qualifying offer. Yeah. Stuff, removing but, the qualifying offer from, but creators. you know, the union is looking at that and they're not saying, Oh, we're, we're so adamant about protecting the interests of international amateur players. I mean, we've gone over this so many times, but just like, they're not looking out for the interests of players who are not on 40 man rosters. They're saying, no, this is actually a big bargaining chip for us. That matters a lot to the owners. So they need to give us something more than you know the qualifying offer that has you know some impact on 40 man players but just a pretty small handful of players yeah each year right like we want their, their thinking is i'm sure we want something bigger than this we're going to hold on to this yeah uh, something to boost the luxury tax or minimum sal- something that would affect a large number of players and a much bigger amount of money i would imagine right yeah i think that's what they're um, going to be holding out for. Cause I, I don't see, I don't see anything changing for it unless they come to uh, some midterm bargaining session where they, where they do implement um, an international draft. I mean, you could just, you know, yeah, I, I, I don't see that. I, I don't see them coming up with a new system. I think they're very just adamant about saying, let's try to push for, um, an international draft and hope that it just, you know, all of these agreements and commitments from when players are 13 and 14 years old stops getting so much, uh, 
or, or doesn't get too much attention from from everybody. Gotcha. Well, I think that about does it for us today, Ben. Unless there's something that we haven't touched on that that you want to mention. Um, but this was fun. If you want to read more about Ben's international coverage, that is on the site now. Like you said, there will be more detailed information on those players uh, in the ensuing months after they sign, after we can get updated information. Uh, we are very close to rolling out all of the updated 2023 top 10 lists. You can purchase your prospect handbook now through us if you want to get that. I don't know if the PDFs have gone out yet, but if you do buy through us, you'll get access to your to your PDF version of the handbook um, a little bit quicker than you can get the physical product. So if that's something that you're interested in, consider doing that. You can find more information on our website at baseballamerica.com. Um, I think those are the the only things that I wanted to plug. Obviously, Top 100 is is coming soon. Excited to get that out. Um, any, anything else you need to plug? Anything that's coming up, Ben, or anything you want to, to say in your final comments before we get out of here? Yeah, like I said, just building the top 100 process right now. We've got the Padres. As we're recording this, the Padres are up today. They're yep. top 10. Padres top so 10. I think we've got 26, So if you're a big Dylan so. Lesko fan like me, go uh, go read about Dylan Lesko. So we've, uh, yeah, so we're almost finished up with all of our all of our top 10. So close to 300 scouting reports on on our site right now on uh, on top 10s. Yep, as well as chats. Um, we have chats for all the top tens. Kyle is ramping up the top ten podcasts. I think the Phillies dropped yesterday, so if you're a Phillies fan, definitely go check that out. Um, but yeah, it's it's fun times. It's January. We've talked about it before. It's a lot of preview content. Getting excited for the season. Um, and that is the podcast for today. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for subscribing. If you are a subscriber to the show, if not, uh, just click the little plus button or or the follow button on Spotify and Apple podcasts. If you haven't reviewed us and you want to, um, that would be great. We would much appreciate it. Um, but otherwise just thanks for hanging out with us and listening to us talk baseball and we will be back next week. So for Ben, I'm Carlos. Thanks everybody. See you next time.